you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Uh, tonight we're going to be reading verses 16 through 33, but because it's been two weeks, I want to set you real quick back in what Paul's doing here. Is once again, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's defending his ministry. It feels like a great portion of that, uh, of 2 Corinthians, is this, what Paul's doing here. But uh, as we ended last week, He's really showing what is at stake. It's not just that other men have come in, right? And they're doing a little bit better at ministry than Paul is doing. He said at the end of last week this. Listen to these powerful words. He said, what I'm doing, I will continue to do. This is him boasting. In order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Now listen to this, he says. For such men are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself. That's what's at stake. As Paul defends his ministry, as Paul boasts, and we'll see tonight, he's being forced to do so. He doesn't want to. But he has to play on their terms for a moment. Because what is at stake is the gospel of Jesus Christ, truth, and the very souls that He has poured Himself into, the church that He has raised up. He cares for her. And so that's what Paul's doing. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank You for the Word that's set before us. It's perfect. It's without error. It is the truth that we need to hear. God, You raised up Your apostles and Your prophets. And so this Word is delivered to us by them. But it is Your very Word for Your people then help us, Lord, to receive it tonight. And help us, as weak, as weak, Lord, to believe, to trust, to honor You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Beginning with verse uh, 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers 
Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is God's word for his people. Let us receive it. Amen. This evening we're going to consider two things. One, the foolishness of the world. And two, the weakness of the Christian. First, the foolishness of the world. Paul begins tonight's passage in a bit of embarrassment. He admits that he has to act in the same foolishness that his opponents have been acting uh, in Corinth. He turns now to boast about himself, but as we will see, it's completely different than how the, the super apostles, will call them, have been boasting, and it has a very different end in mind. What he hopes to do in his boasting is to expose the, the foolishness that the Corinthians have been willing to believe. And, and he's hoping to help them discern then what is true. You see, the problem is, as we mentioned with the children, is that they, they look at this outward appearance. He says in verse 18, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Admittingly, he's... Uh, he said this is not the way that God asks us, to, uh, asks us to act. He's acting as a fool would act. He's willing to act the fool to expose the real error of their thinking. Basically, choose your fool. Gladly, it would seem, verse 19, they have considered themselves wise in who they would follow. They have been impressed, it would seem, with the rhetoric and the gifts of these men who have come into Corinth in Paul's absence. And these men have boasted to them about their success. They, they basically have brought uh, resumes, letters of recommendation to say, we are the best that the world has to offer. You know, we are the mega pastor. We are the super apostle. Why would you follow Paul? The man can barely speak. Look at how eloquent we are. And the people have fallen for it. Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians is like, how could you cast me aside so easy? Have I not loved you and shown you the truth? And yet here he is. They have all the charm, but none of the substance. This is pretty practical for our current times. Uh, when Matt mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, you go to the, the Christian bookstore and the books that are on sale at the front of the bookstore, those ones that are the very best sellers, are those the ones that tickle people's ears and have very little truth? Or you look at the, 
the, the, the pastor that is magnified on the television as the great prophet. Where you listen to um, the voices in this world that are raised up because of all the buzz around them or those who have built the biggest churches and have the loudest, loudest voices. We need to know truth. And we need to see through the foolishness in this world. And Paul wants to expose that more than the man who leads, we must be able to recognize truth and know it when we hear it. And the Corinthians have been enamored with the gifts of these super apostles and the appearance of them. And they have lost more than they realized. Verse 20, they submitted themselves willingly to someone who has made them slaves. Paul says is devouring them and takes advantage of them. And they see the heirs, these, these men who are thumping their chest and standing in front of them the airs that they have put on and they have believed their boast and shockingly they allow themselves either physically or spiritually or metaphorically to be struck in the face in the face and to be abused that's the foolishness of this world it's always done according to the flesh we place value on things as they appear, how it makes us feel, or what we can get out of it for ourselves. But this is also the design and intent of Satan in this world. For the world makes slaves, and it devours, and it takes advantage of, and it puts on airs, and it strikes, while the gospel that Paul preaches sets free, and it builds up and it gives every advantage to true life and strikes our sin on the cross of Jesus Christ in judgment rather than us. Paul gives both a condemnation of their leadership and a rebuke to the church for following them. They have gladly gone along with this foolishness and the foolishness of this world. And the men they're following, Paul paints here a picture, are truly tyrants. And this is how the world thinks shepherds should act. The concept of a shepherd who is a servant is all too foreign and even look down on tyrants get followers by forcing its followers to obey them and to follow them. Many a tyrant announces his concern for those under his care, but in reality, the goal is to have servants whose very lives are there to support and feed their own egos, and they devour the resources of the people and the followers and bleed them out, and they enslave them in their doctrine and in their glory and in their kingdom. The foolishness of this world is that everybody should aspire to build their own kingdom and promote their own glory. To live as a God among men. And these leaders would rob Christ of His glory even doing it in His name if it means their own promotion. I mean, can't you hear the great lie all the way back to Genesis 3. You could become like God's yourself. Paul says, I'm, I'm too weak to lead in this way and to treat you this way. I'm too weak for such tactics for gaining followers, verse 21. I'm not interested in such followers who would submit themselves to such nonsense. And what is more, he fully admits that he doesn't have the gifts that would make it possible. He said that elsewhere. 
His letter of recommendation is from Christ. It's not from the world. And he'll unpack this more uh, in our second point by showing how the world treats him. But his goal here is the gentleness and lowliness of Christ. His model taken out of a page of the life of Christ is Christ's leadership. Matthew 20, or in fact, we read it this morning from Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. In fact, He would say He has been made a slave unto them for this very purpose. That He is willing, Paul, to be devoured, to be uh, taken advantage of for their sake. He puts on Christ and will suffer being struck in the face on their behalf. And here is the real strength of Paul's foolishness. He's willing to go countercultural. Countercultural even to this, this, this uh, Greco-Roman culture that saw, the, the, saw these values that these super apostles has as, as things to be commended. These are really men that are a cut above all other men. But Paul is countercultural to what the world values. And to act the fool in opposition. People will be a slave to something. The super apostles would like that to be them. And they will shape the gospel in such a way that it serves them. Paul would have them see that this, this foolishness. And he would have them be servants of Christ rather. See Paul here is not simply saying hey man just. Just pick one of us and follow. He's not saying, follow me. Paul has a deep understanding. There's not, uh, he's, of course, been sent to have this authority over them. But his goal is not his authority alone. His goal is Christ. That you might know Christ. And that you might not be led from Christ by these people who are so gifted and so eloquent, but have no substance for your soul. And the reality is, if you look at it, where is the writings of these super apostles? Where are they that we might read them? These great men that stood in Corinth and would rob Christ of his glory. The truth and the reality is, is that their kingdoms have crumbled. And whatever they said have disappeared like dust and ash. And it no longer exists because Christ never sent them for his church, for his bride. Their foolishness is gone. And so are the people that would follow them, for they built their houses of sand with no foundation. Why has the church survived? Why has every attempt to quiet her voice and effort, often bloody and violent, not been able to stop the church's spread throughout all of the world? Why have the most lowly people on earth, the most gentle people, survived every single tyrant? Because of Christ who leads it and those who serve Him and value what He commands. This is why Paul will not go silently into the night. He will not give His people over to the wolves. You see, he is a true shepherd like Christ who would rather lose his life than gain it. This is foolishness to the watching world. What kind of leader 
submits himself to be a servant to all. The same kind of foolishness that, that Paul opens in his volley in 1 Corinthians. That you're called to look at the cross of a criminal and realize that even in the preaching of such a cross, which appears to be folly, foolishness to the world, therein lies the power of God magnified unto salvation. And the foolishness of this world overlooks it and looks down upon it. This then leads us then to our second point, which hardly seems at face value to be a strength. The weakness of the Christian. Paul's now ready to lay out his resume in comparison to the false apostles. He says in verse, uh, the end of verse 21, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? It's as if, it's as if this is in the application. These are the first three, three or four questions that you have to answer for, uh, in first ap- applying for the position of apostle. Yes, I am a Hebrew. Yes, I'm an Israelite. Yes, I'm from the line of Abraham. And you have to think, if you go back to the early church and you go back to the source of where the prophets arose and who Christ came first to unto the Jewish nation and who he sent out, these men, these were uh, criteria, real criteria. You know, were you close to the source? Yes, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm a son of Abraham. I've heard the scriptures read in in our synagogues. Yes, I I walked with Christ. These are the criteria, right? So Paul goes on to a fourth question. Are you a servant of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. Now, that's a bold statement and seems to be a bigger boast than they. But this is where it turns into what might seem absurdity. Paul says as much uh, when he says, look, I'm acting like a madman. Let me show you why I'm a better servant of Christ. And you think he's going to lay out all these profound gifts before us, right? Uh, Look at me. Look what I have done. But what Paul does is he turns us and says, let me show you all the ways that I am weak. Let me show you the way the world treats me. What it looks like to stand in faith in this world that acts so foolishly, foolishly. And only a fool would endure such trial and abuse and keeps going. Paul says, look how I suffer. This would never be in the resume of the super apostle. Let me tell you about all my weakness. You have been fools, Corinth, to receive such abuse from your leaders. But now let me tell you about all the ways I have been abused. As I labored, yes, I labored for you and for Christ, and I have been in prison, I have received countless beatings, and often left as a dying man. Five times, he says, I have received 39 lashes, or 40 minus one. 
Five times. Do you realize there is 135 scars at least on this man's back? Three times with less forgiving rods. Stone once. Probably as he pins that, he remembers standing there holding the jackets as Stephen was stoned. Three times I have been in a shipwreck floating in the sea for a day and a night and have had danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in cities, danger in wilderness, sea, and false brothers. I can't sleep at night because of my concern and anxiety for you is through the roof, he says. In other words, it would seem the whole world is against me in my mission. The world shouts, Paul, we hate you and we hate your mission and we don't see any gifts. It all seem like this is a clear sign from God. This is what the world would say. Give up, man. Can you not see that this mission has failed? You're too weak. But Paul knows something different. When he was called by Christ on the road to Damascus, it was told in Acts 9, I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul knows that the Christ who saved him from the suffering of his own sin, his own rebellion, has called him into suffering for the sake of Christ and his church and the very suffering for him. His very weakness in him is a realization of what Christ has not only done for him, but what he has promised him. Paul in his own weakness sees Christ. And Paul's list he pins down for the Corinthians is no more than just a list of the ways that God is using him as weak as he may be. Elsewhere in Colossians 1, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. How can Paul do that? Like I said, his sufferings are a reality of what Christ has done for him. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For whose sake does he suffer? Paul suffers for the church's sake. And he bears every affliction as a partnership in the suffering that Christ endured for his bride, the church in his ministry. Perhaps we do not see a worse list of human suffering and evangelism in all church history other than Christ's. Who has endured such things and kept going? Oh, what Christ would endure for his people. Lowly, despised. Would we dare say that Christ is weak? He had every appearance to be so. Born in a manger, nowhere to lay his head, despised and abhorred by the nations. Mocked, flogged, stripped down to, to naked to be hung before them on a criminal's cross. No, Christ came to do the will of his Father. And that was to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul would be this kind of servant leader to protect 
and watch over the bride of Christ so that each whip he endured or each danger that he faced or overtook him, he presses on for the sake of Christ and his bride, but not in his own strength. Verse 29, he says, who is weak? Am I not weak? It's a rhetorical question meant to say, when any of you are weak, I am weak with you. I feel it. It's not a bad thing, as he later points out. His faith, his great faith has endured all kinds of trouble. And when he speaks to them as weaker brothers, he says, I am quite familiar with your weakness. You see, he isn't putting on airs like the others, but he identifies with the people that he is ministering to. This shepherd doesn't exploit their weakness like the false apostles, but declares himself weak as they are. And then his next question highlights his care for them. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. That is, who is made to sin? And I am not furious. The shepherd so cares for his people that when they have been made to sin, he is filled with compassion for them. And his staff, so to speak, is raised to shake them free from those leaders causing them to sin. He is livid not only that he has to boast as they do, but what they are doing to the flock of Christ. And he can't stand by and watch them be devoured and exploited. His weakness he is ready to glory in. It may look like a failure of a ministry. I am bent and I am bruised over my care for you and my concern for your spiritual health. And I will boast all the more in that weakness. Because it is not only an acknowledgement of God's power who is blessed forever, but also because it is weakness that he best knows. It's in this weakness that he best knows Christ's power. His endurance through such trials is Christ's empowerment, not his own. Everything he has mentioned is a display of his own weakness, yet the gospel is thriving and the churches are popping up all over. He isn't waging war according to the flesh. For that is weak, but as 10.3 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. He fights not with the strength of his own arms, but with truth. As if he needed more, he throws in one last volley. He, this, this king of Damascus pursues him and like a coward he has to be lowered out a window in a basket to run away and flee what weakness the world would say but paul lives until he is finally taken to preach the gospel of truth oh christian do you know that you are weak do you know that every trial you may face for the cause of christ is not one because of your grit or your strength or your gifts the cause of Christ is one in the suffering of his saints for his name's sake. This is what it takes to enter the battlefield of this world with all its foolishness. And Satan opposes this truth with all of his will and raising up even leaders to lead the way in it. What keeps us, I've got to wrap up, from proclaiming Christ? I think it's that we know we're weak. 
I might be rejected. I'm not eloquent. I am too much of a hypocrite. I can't answer those hard questions. Let me tell you, the Bible is filled with weak people. But they had something that made them strong. It's faith. And if you turn to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith is filled up, not with people who go, look how wonderful they were, but to look at them and say, these weak people had faith in the one who was powerful. Thanks be to God that he has spoken to us in the midst of the foolishness of this world, shown us the power and might of Christ our Lord. And you weak saints have that authority reigning and ruling over you who goes before you and equips you. Amen. Let's pray.